Hello and welcome to Health Affairs This Week. I'm Jessica Bylander. And I'm Leslie Erdelak, and we're back with another episode of our weekly health policy podcast. And today we're talking about two developments. So first we have a breaking announcement from the Supreme Court and new recommendations to Congress about changes to the Medicare program. That's right. We're recording this episode on Thursday, so we're just hours away from the latest decision from the Supreme Court. The Affordable Care Act survived its third major challenge. Um, The justices decided the case on standing. They ruled that the plaintiffs couldn't bring their case to court, so they didn't rule on the merits of the law itself. But at the end of the day, the ACA remains intact. Yeah, and make sure to check out Katie Keith's analysis of the Supreme Court's opinion on Health Affairs blog. And the second item we're following this week is the latest report from MedPAC. We're recommending a handful of changes to the Medicare program, including changes to alternative payment models, among other things. But first, Leslie, for listeners who might think this all sounds like typical DC alphabet soup, what is MedPAC? Yeah, great question. So MedPAC stands for the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, and it's a nonpartisan federal commission that advises Congress on issues that affect the Medicare program. There are 17 members, and they meet throughout the year to talk about Medicare payment policies and formulate their recommendations. And MedPAC issues two major reports summarizing their recommendations every year. So there's one in March, and there's one in June. And the report that was released earlier this week talks about Medicare's payment policies and ways to improve those policies, along with surfacing some of the bigger trends in healthcare delivery in the market for healthcare services. So I'd say MedPAC's statutory mandate is really broad, and because of some of the intricacies and some of the rules that govern programs like Medicare and Medicaid, you can expect these reports to really get under the hood. And as you put it before we started recording, you know, it'd be great to sort of demystify MedPAC for me and for a lot of people. So I think in the spirit of doing just that, um, what did you think of the report? Yeah, it is a little wonky. It's not, you know, your typical bedside reading material. Um, But one thing that jumped out to me was the recommendation to streamline the portfolio of alternative payment models that are out there. So these are things like accountable care organizations or ACOs that hold groups of providers accountable for the cost and quality care of a population of patients. It's also things like um, primary care transformation models and models that are focused on Medicaid population or kids. So um, a decade ago, the um, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, or CMMI, was created to test out new models to just basically reduce spending, improve quality in Medicare, Medicaid, and the Children's Health Insurance Program. So in a decade, they've actually pursued a lot. They've pursued 54 different alternative payment models so far, just trying to see what works and what doesn't. Um, They generally operate a, a model for about five years, and then they either abandon it or revise it. So the bottom line is that some of these models have had promising results and saved money, some didn't. And there also ends up being a lot of overlap where a patient or provider might be participating in a bunch of these models at the same time. And that can have some consequences like diluting the financial incentives or just making it hard to see um, the results of one individual program. So MedPAC is basically recommending that less is more going forward with these. You know, CMS should pursue fewer models and ones that are designed to work together. 
And Liz Fowler, who's the new head of CMMI, has been talking about, um, talking recently actually, about the need to recalibrate some of the agency's priorities, right? That's right. We had a great event a couple of weeks ago where Liz Fowler spoke with um, our editor-in-chief, Alan Weil, about the plans for CMMI. And folks can check this out on our website or on a health policy podcast. But she similarly said that the days of throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks are over, and it's time to double down on what is actually working. So they're undertaking a strategic review. And so she mentioned it'll be important to make sure these alternative payment models are actually reaching communities of color for one. So health equity is an important um, thing that they're looking at going forward. And it might be time, she said, to make some models mandatory instead of voluntary to make sure they're actually saving money. So Leslie, what stood out to you in the report? Yeah, another interesting thing in this report is related to how private equity is influencing the Medicare program. And the debate about the merits of private equity might seem beyond, you know, Medicare's typical purview. So I think it's notable that MedPAC is is even taking a look at it. Um, That being said, people have sort of been weighing the pros and cons of private equity deals in healthcare for a long time. Um, But something that's gotten more attention in recent years involves investment firms that are buying out companies that, the types of companies that run hospitals, nursing homes, um, physician practices, for example, and then these private equity firms step in and they try to improve how these providers perform from both an operational and a financial standpoint before selling them later on. So generally speaking, as these types of acquisitions become more common in healthcare, it's given way to uh, several concerns, and one of which is that private equity is consolidating these providers who in turn have more market leverage, and this affects what happens at the negotiating table between hospitals and insurance plans. But even though Medicare sets its own payment rates for the most part, there are other reasons why MedPAC is interested in private equity. For example, uh, and the report emphasizes this, the fact that we don't really have good data on which providers are owned by private equity firms makes it hard to say what the effect of private equity ownership uh, has been in terms of quality, in terms of patient satisfaction, and importantly, cost. So MedPAC says understanding who owns these Medicare providers and what their track record of operations is could help improve oversight. But, you know, it's hard because you're dealing with such complex business structures. So it strikes me as kind of an ongoing issue and something the commission will likely be watching moving forward. Yeah, private equity is just a hot topic these days. And I know we had a couple research papers in our May issue about private equity investment in healthcare and in different sectors such as dermatology, so something to check out. So is there anything else in the report you think is worth highlighting? Yeah, there's definitely more in the report, Um, a lot to wrap my mind around, but MedPAC, for one, does recommend some changes in payment policies, basically to ensure that Medicare Advantage plans are actually saving the Medicare program money as they were intended to do. So Medicare currently spends about 4% more on beneficiaries that are in Medicare Advantage than in traditional fee-for-service. So that not being kind of the goal of the program, they're just looking at ways to change benchmarking to um, address that issue. And MedPAC is also recommending getting rid of 
the skilled nursing facility value-based purchasing program, because basically they're saying it's just not working. So in terms of where we go from here, I think it bears repeating that MedPAC's recommendations are not binding, but there's no question that they are influential to some degree in the sense um, that they're sort of this crystal ball when it comes to potential legislative and regulatory changes that will impact the Medicare program in the future. And I think that's partly because MedPAC has a lot of credibility. And I actually came across a good interview from a few years ago in the New England Journal of Medicine with the former executive director of MedPAC. And it's called Why Does MedPAC Matter? And it talks a little bit about that sort of perennial conflict, I think, between aspiring to good policy and both the political and the more concrete realities when it comes to actually making changes to Medicare. So that was that was interesting for me. But I think we can leave it there. And hopefully, Jess, we've sort of delivered on our promise to shed <laughs> some light on MedPAC and on this report. Hopefully we've made a long report seem a little interesting to listeners. So um, yeah, thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, tell a friend and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. We'll see you next week.